Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Well, good morning. Welcome to week eight of our series, Foundations. I love that slow pan out on the wrong date. Sorry for that. Uh, we actually extended this series. We had only planned on going until last week, but uh, as many of you can notice, the room is slightly heavier this direction. I don't know if there's something going on over here or not, um, but uh, we're excited for that. So we're actually approached by a couple families who had been thinking and praying uh, about baptism through some conversations that they've been having with their kids, and we thought, well, we can always make time to have baptisms and to have those conversations. And so we found a date that worked, and then we're like, well, we were going to start Christmas today, right, day after Thanksgiving or the weekend after Thanksgiving. That's the time to start. But next Sunday, we're actually doing what we're calling Impact Sunday. We're going to look at the ways in which we as the porch have served our community and served around the world, both through our acts of service and through our giving. We're going to have a special guest here with us next week. And so we thought, well, it'd be weird to do like one week of Christmas when there's no Christmas decorations up, but then like take a week off and then go back to Christmas. So we just decided, well, let's extend foundations one extra week. Let's put a little bit more on there. And uh, I think that we can find some, some work within this passage, right? For the past eight weeks, we've been talking talking about the same five verses uh, at the end of Acts chapter 2, which either makes me a really good preacher or a really bad preacher, and I'll let you guys decide. Your silence is very reassuring, right? So we're going to continue on, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along in one of our worship center Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you just to slip your hand up. Our ushers are coming around. Uh, They'd love to let you borrow one of the worship center Bibles. We'll be on page 535 in the worship center Bibles, 535. Of course, if you've been here for all eight weeks, I fully expect that you have it memorized by now, and uh, so you can just recall with us, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 4. 42 through 47, and we're going to wrap this up uh, this week. So let's jump in here. Of course, all of our scriptures will be up on the screen as well. So they, this is the early disciples, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by, all, by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being Saved. So we've kind of walked through this over the course of the last eight weeks, and we've talked about these were foundational practices for the early church. These were the things that they devoted themselves to, and there were a series of responses and results that accompanied these devoted actions. And so we've said not only was this important for the early church, it's important for us as a church, for us as a body of believers, but also to lay the foundations in our personal life and the way in which we follow and serve Jesus. So we've talked about 
about reading our Bible. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about generosity and fellowship. We've talked about praise and worship. Last week, we talked about salvation and this idea that in order for others to come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is, it requires that we find ourselves being saved daily. And so today, as we kind of continue that vein, continue that thought, there's, there's one kind of stanza here at the end, specifically one kind of word within there that really speaks to me about baptism, which is obviously the direction that we're going today. And it's right at the beginning of verse 47. It says, they were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. They were praising God and then they enjoyed favor from all the people, right? Praising God, we talked about worship just a few weeks ago. And while it is the songs that we sing, while it is the gathering that we have together, it is also so much bigger and so much deeper than that. And we're grateful that worship is not only what we do when we come together, but it's every action, every habit, everything that we do with our lives in following after God. But there was something about the praises of this early church that resulted in the people responding favorably to them, right? There was something deeper going on here. It wasn't just that they noticed that they went to church and said, wow, that's really neat. There was something tangibly different about the action that praising God took within that place, right? People began to take notice and their, their attitude wasn't disdain, right? It wasn't how these Christ followers took up contrary political views. It wasn't filled with the things that they were against. It didn't lead the conversation with sin that was rampant in the culture. Somehow their praising of God in their worship allowed people to respond favorably to their walk with God. There's something even better here, right? The word in the Greek is actually not a word that's typically translated favor. It's usually translated grace. It's usually translated grace as in the same word that's translated for the grace of God that we receive in Jesus. It says that the people praised God and then they enjoyed the grace, the, the favor of the community, of the people around them, right? Anybody go out Black Friday shopping? You can be proud in here, right? Did you go out Black Friday shopping? Nobody got trampled, hopefully. Did you feel an abundant sense of grace from the people around you? In the parking lot, right, where people are like, no, please, you go first. I know it's 4 a.m., but why don't you take the good parking spot, right? They weren't handing you things going, this is the last TV, but I want you to have it, right? There isn't an abundance of grace around this typical idea of Black Friday shopping. So interesting how we get from Christmas, right, which is the reason that we exchange gifts, Jesus' birth, his ultimate salvation for all mankind, and wind up with such a grace-empty type of event, but there was something going on here, right? It says that they were praising God and the response of the people around them was favor, was grace, was a leaning in, right? It's like nobody had anything bad to say about them, which is in itself a miracle, right? If nobody has anything bad to say about an entire group of people, specifically one with a religious bent, then there's something bigger going on here. And that, I think, is one of the most profound observations about this passage in general, right? Is that in order for people to regard you favorably, something really had to have happened. Something had to have changed. Something shifted in the narrative to where the people who would probably be against in the forefront, who would probably be disagreeable on some level, who would feel perhaps an impingement on themselves, instead were favorable to the church. They were favorable to their worship, right? This isn't bumper sticker theology. It's not just nice words or a sticker on the back of your car. It's not just that people noticed, oh, you go to church on Sunday. 
Sunday, there was something noticeably different in the lives of these people. Something about their relationship with God changed the way that they acted, and people took notice. See, you can just be a nice person, and that's great, but nice people only get credit for themselves being nice people. There was something about the actions, about the worship, about the lifestyle of this early church that people took note that they had been with Jesus, and they were inclined favorably to that remark. Somehow they saw their relationship with God as a positive, which leads me to a question. What do you think that was? Do you think that we could get there as as a church, as a people of God, as a community of faith to where the people around us were people who perhaps believed differently than we did, that they would be inclined favorably to who we are because we represent Jesus? Because the change in our lives is so impactful in the way that we go through our day-to-day and the way that we live our lives that the world is actually better for them because we know Jesus. Because we follow Jesus, because we take the initiative to make his kingdom come here on earth, that the actions that we take around with the surrounding community and surrounding people would actually make them go, you know, I'm not so sure about that Jesus guy, and I don't know what they do on Sunday mornings. That seems a little weird, but I can tell you that my life is better because of them, because of their relationship with Jesus. Whatever they're doing, it's working, and it's making an impact on me, that if we take the conversation that we had last Last week about salvation, that salvation isn't just something that happens one time in a prayer or at an altar or at summer camp, but daily we find ourselves becoming in line with Jesus and acting accordingly. And as we do that, the world is made into a better place, that the actions that we do to follow God on a daily basis becomes our act of worship, and the results of that actually endear the world. It causes them to look with favor and grace not only to us, but to Jesus, right? Jesus should make the world better. Jesus should make an impact on the lives of people around us. Jesus is not limited to this place and this space and this one hour on the weekend. Jesus impacts every area of our lives. And when we begin to tell that story about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives and because we're different, so we want to make the world a better and different place that we want to translate what God has given us into something that everybody can have, that maybe as we begin telling that story, maybe as we lead with the change that God wrought in our own lives, maybe people would be more favorably inclined to this thing that we call church, to this message that we have called the gospel, to this person that we call Jesus. And when we begin to tell that story well, I think we might just experience the favor and the grace of people around us. Which is why I think today is so incredibly important, because today we're talking about baptism. We're talking about the testimony and the story that we have about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, about how we were going one direction, how our life was headed in a downward direction, then Jesus came in, and now our lives are different. And while the rite of passage and while the ritual and symbolism of baptism is incredibly important, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to honor that, really, the story that gets told within us, the attitude that we then begin to lead from, is the foundational impact of what we're talking about today. So with that being said, let's jump in to baptism. What 
is baptism? What in the world are we talking about? We've gathered that it is something to do with water, right? Maybe you've seen it done a couple of times. Maybe you've seen the sprinkling of babies, all that kind of stuff. What in the world are we talking about with baptism? First, let's talk about what it isn't. Baptism is not salvation. They're different. There are two different acts. Baptism does not save you. It does not punch your get-out-of-hell-free card. Uh, baptism is not the same as as having Jesus in your life. You won't find the idea of baptism saving you in Scripture. It's not in there. You will see a lot of importance placed on baptism. You'll see people practicing it, but it always follows a belief and an action and an attitude of following Jesus, right? We talked about this last week, that we must believe that Jesus paid the price for our sins and accepting that free gift is what saves us, period, right? God saves us in Jesus and that's it. Nothing that we do, nothing that we could do or could not do could ever save us of our own volition. Baptism is not salvation. So what is it? Baptism is really a sign and a symbol. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's the outward description of something that has happened inside and in our hearts, right? When a person has declared their declaration for Jesus, that they've chosen to love him, to live their life according to his purpose, that the baptism becomes the outward description of what God is doing inside their hearts. In other words, I've been saved in my heart. I've made the decision to follow Jesus, and now I'm going public. I'm giving a profession of my faith. I'm into into the community of faith by walking forward. As I was thinking about this, it's really kind of similar to a wedding, right? A wedding is not what makes you married. Are you with me on this, right? A wedding is a ceremony. It's something that commemorates a decision that you've already made within your heart. It's full of symbols and signs and very, very good and perfect and wonderful pieces, but a wedding is not a marriage, a marriage is the day-to-day -day actions where we uphold our vows, where we serve each other, where we share a home, raise a family. That's being married. The wedding ceremony is just cluing everybody in onto what's going on in our relationship, that we've made a decision to serve and to love one another for the rest of our lives. And so the wedding really is a sign and a symbol of the inward relationship. Baptism is the same way. It's an outward sign and symbol of the work that Jesus is doing inside of our heart. When we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we then tell people by inviting them to baptism to a ceremony. And again, that ceremony composes some really good elements that talk about this idea of following Jesus. So baptism doesn't save you. It's a sign and a symbol of your commitment to Jesus. It's a public declaration of your decision to follow Jesus. It's also indicative of the transformation that happens, right? If being saved is a conversation you can have kind of on your own, right? You can pray a prayer. You can talk to God. You can accept Jesus into your heart. Baptism is really a community event. It's why so many of you are here, actually. You have a family member. You have somebody that's important to you being baptized, and you recognize that in their profession, of faith, you want to honor and be a part of that. As a matter of fact, traditionally, right, this was kind of the entry into church life. Once you made not only the decision for Jesus in your heart, you were baptized as the outward sign, and this was a welcoming into the faith community, into the church, because you actually made it public. You went public with your belief on the inside, right? So baptism is not salvation. It's a sign and a symbol. It's also a testimony of what God has done in our life. It's a testimony of the transition of the change from death to life. 
This is why we practice immersion, right? Even though it's in a horse trough. Uh, the idea being that we partner through with this and the symbolism that really we were dead in our sins and transgressions and that represents going under the water that we were dead of our own accord but then we've been raised to new life with Jesus. This is why we cheer when we come out of the water because we're celebrating someone who was dead spiritually to someone who is now alive in Jesus. You're raised to new life into a community of believers and we recognize that this is a part of what's happened on the spiritual reality of a person's heart and now we get to proclaim it as a community, right? So there's the what of what baptism is, but let's talk about why for just a second. If baptism isn't salvation, is it required, right? Do we have to get baptized to find ourselves in heaven? If it's just symbolic, then what's the point of taking all this time to talk about it? Just a couple quick thoughts about why baptism. First thought, Jesus did it. Jesus participated in baptism. We see this in the scriptures. He's baptized by his cousin John, who gives the baptism for repentance. And Jesus, I don't know if you know this, didn't need to repent, right? Like it wasn't in there. It wasn't a piece of it. So Jesus sets the model for baptism as one who did not need to repent. He says, this is set for you as a model, as an example to follow. So if Jesus, who did not need to repent, how much more so those of us who do need to repent follow through with the act of baptism? Plus, if Jesus did it, it's probably a good idea that we do it, right? That's like Christianity 101, do the stuff that Jesus did. You with me? Some of you are. That's fine. You'll get it on the way home. Number two, Jesus did it. Also, Jesus tells us to do it. One of the most famous passages about what it is to be a follower of Jesus, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the great commission, the great sending out of Jesus. And he says this, therefore, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus says, as you proclaim the gospel, as you share the gospel truth, the result of that should be discipleship and baptism. Should be people coming to terms with following Jesus and then being baptized into the family and community of faith. Jesus did it. He says that we should do it. Thirdly, we see others in the New Testament doing it. It's all throughout scripture of people coming to faith in Jesus and then making that declaration known through a public baptism. Jesus said to do it, Jesus did it himself, and others said to do it. But now I know that we're talking with a group of savvy individuals this morning, right? Just because somebody needs to take a bath on Sunday morning doesn't mean that we ought to take a bath on Sunday morning. Are you with me? Are you? Some of you are. Some of you are distracted by the mountains of kids that are in here this morning, <laughs> which is wonderful, and I'm so grateful for that. But there's pieces of this, right, that we're going, okay, so just because Jesus did it and just because others did it, what does this mean to me? Why should I participate in this? What's the piece that's in it for us? I want to draw our attention to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is John the Baptist, again, talking about baptism, and he kind of draws a line in the sand between water baptism, what he's doing, and then the baptism that Jesus enters in. He says, I, John, baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more more powerful than I. This is Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John says, look, this water baptism is really a placeholder of something much more significant that is coming and now has come because Jesus is here. 
And his baptism won't just be for repentance and for cleansing and for forgiveness of sin. It will be for power and for the Holy Spirit. In other words, baptism isn't salvation, and it absolutely is a symbol, but there's actually something real and spiritual and profound that also takes place in this moment, in this ritual, in this thing that we celebrate. Something new can happen and is happening when we participate in baptism, when we publicly declare Jesus. Jesus as our life giver. So some quick frequently asked questions about this. Yes, the Holy Spirit can come at baptism. No, he doesn't have to come that way. The Holy Spirit can come any type of way that he feels. He comes in water baptism. He comes outside of water baptism. There are entire traditions that talk about a second coming of the Holy Spirit where a second baptism happens that has nothing to do with water. Quite frankly, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. Amen, right? Are you with me this morning? He has nothing to do with the baptism that we're talking about, and he can come in this moment. The Holy Spirit can come if you are baptized with water. He can come if you aren't baptized with water. Yes, you can make it into heaven without being baptized. Yes, you should still be baptized. Is this confusing anyone else? Right? There's a lot of ups and downs, ins and outs. Isn't following Jesus fun? The bottom line is that the Holy Spirit is available to us upon following Jesus, whether that comes in the quietness of your own heart, whether or not it comes through a step of obedience like a public profession of faith or baptism, the Holy Spirit can come into the life of a believer. So is there a second kind of baptism? Kind of. Sometimes. Maybe. Yes. No. All these things play into the conversation. Some people say it's the same. Some people say it's different. Who's right? Both. Is it contradictory? Yes. Isn't following Jesus fun? I think it is. Here's all of that to say this, right? Baptism is an outward sign of what God is doing on the inside of your heart. The Holy Spirit can come through any of those means and methods necessary, which means you might as well check the box to make sure that you're not missing out on anything. Which leads us to kind of this last question then. So why baptism? Because Jesus said to do it and because he instructs others to do it and because there's more available to us in following Jesus. But that's really the last question then. Who should be baptized? Right? If we've got the what down, right? Baptism is not salvation. It's a sign and a symbol. But the why is that there's also more available within this process. How do I know which camp I fall into? Here's the bottom line. Anyone who has made a decision to follow Jesus should follow through with baptism. Anybody who's made that declaration in their heart, who's come forward to say, this is how I want to live with life, you ought to be baptized. If you've decided to trust in Jesus, to accept his free gift of salvation and love, and you want the life that he has for you, then you should be baptized. Might something else happen as a result of it? Sure. Who knows what God is doing in your life? Now, that may raise some questions, right? What about me? I was baptized as an infant. Should I be rebaptized? don't have to. You can really do whatever you want. I was baptized as an infant. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, I went through a confirmation class to confirm my baptism, to confirm that my beliefs were my own in that process. Um, I don't think Jesus is upset with me. I don't think so. He could be, but I don't think so. 
Otherwise, you might be like my wife. My wife was also raised Presbyterian. She was baptized as an infant. She went through confirmation. But then in her 20s, she found herself coming back to faith in Jesus and going, I want to make my own public declaration. I want to make my line in the sand where before it was my parents' decision, it was a decision that was made for me, and so many things have changed in my life. And now I just want to make a public declaration of my trust in Jesus. And she was baptized again. Is that a good thing? I think so. Ultimately, though, really, this is about your relationship and trust with Jesus. See, while baptism is a sign and a symbol and it's all of those types of things, it's also a step of obedience. It's a step of following through with how God is working in your life, with what he's putting onto your heart. So if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to consider what being baptized might look like for you. What are the processes, what are the steps and conversations that you might want to have? Again, there's times and opportunities for this to happen, but the bottom line is it's your personal relationship with Jesus and what he's speaking to you. I don't think you have to be re-baptized. I don't know that you need to be baptized the first time around, but at some point it comes down to obedience. And if you've declared Jesus as Savior but have never gone through with baptism because it's weird or you've never seen an adult do it or you're not sure what it entails, then at some point it's going to to become a heart issue, an issue of disobedience for you. So who should be baptized? Anyone who's declared Jesus as Savior and wants to take the next step in obedience and following after him. A few short chapters after these verses that we read in Acts, there's a story of someone who's just riding along, reading their Bible, and Philip, one of the disciples, followers of Jesus, comes up and says, hey, can I tell you what you're reading about? He tells them the gospel, he shares the story about Jesus, and as they're driving down the highway, he says, hey, there's some water, why don't I just get baptized right now? Look, there's water, is there anything that prevents me from being baptized? And I would just say to you, hey, we got some water here this morning. I even have a change of clothes for you. Unfortunately, it's just shorts and t-shirts, so it might be a cold walk back out to your car. But if you're feeling like, hey, I need to take a step of obedience, maybe you've never actually thought about this question, maybe you've taken for granted some piece of this journey, I would encourage you to consider that. Maybe not today, maybe today is just the conversation, but if you're feeling that today, then I want to invite you into that space. There's no reason to overthink it, because I think here's the reality. I think that sometimes we're missing out on the favor of God around us because our lives don't look any different before Jesus and after Jesus. And I would submit to us that perhaps we've never gone public with our story. Perhaps we've just made following Jesus about something that happens in our hearts, about a prayer that we pray, and it never translates into a story that we can lead with. Maybe it's absent of power because we've never received the Holy Spirit through being baptized. I don't want to speak that over you. I just want to invite you into a real conversation between you and between Jesus to go, what exactly might God be doing? How exactly might he want to lead your story with the favor that he's displayed on you? Where might you need a testimony of your life from death being transitioned to life? Today, we've got a couple kids that are coming up to be baptized. We've had conversations about how they know and understand what God is doing for them and all of those pieces. And the reality is that part of what they're doing here is to have a testimony with you as witnesses for their decision to follow Jesus, to walk alongside them, to hold them accountable so that they can tell the story and you can help them tell the story of the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. 
And maybe when we lead with the story of all that God has given us, the love and the grace and forgiveness that is him of our transition from death to life, maybe when we lead with the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, we'll find ourselves having more favor from the people around us. Maybe as we live our lives and lead with the story of how God has come into our life and radically transformed us, people will actually want to hear that story. People will actually want to hear more about what you believe and about who God is to you. Maybe we're missing out on the favor because we've never taken a stand publicly. You're invited into that space this morning. You're not required to. I just want to make sure that anytime it's open. We're going to sing one more song, and as we do, I'm going to invite those people who are getting baptized to come up front so you'll see some movement. But I do want to leave you an open invitation. If today's your day, if you're going, I didn't plan on this, and I'm not wearing what I thought I'd be wearing, but look, there's water, and I know that God's tugging on my heart to make this decision, then I want to encourage you to come forward. We'd love to have a conversation with you to make a way for that. Maybe it's not today, but you know that today you need to start a conversation. You need to reach out to me or reach out to a family member and to say, hey, I don't, I don't know, was I baptized as a baby? Do you remember was I baptized as a teenager? Reflect on your own spiritual journey and go, I wonder where I went public and I wonder where that's at in my relationship. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing a song and then we'll celebrate baptism together. Jesus, God, we're so thankful for the many gifts that you give us, the greatest of which is salvation, is eternal life with your Son. And so now, God, as we recognize and reflect and spend our time there, God, we ask that you would reveal anything within us where perhaps we're harboring a disobedience, God. Perhaps baptism is just something that has always been a line for us, God. I ask and pray that you would soften our hearts to your message there. God, maybe we were baptized young and we're just feeling like we need to do something about that today. Maybe you're a young person in this space who's going, baptism is something that I've always thought about and, and maybe today's my day. I would encourage you to have a conversation with your parents. But bottom line is this, Jesus wants to work in your life. And sometimes the things that hinders him from doing his work is our obedience to him. And baptism is a beautiful ritual. It is a sign and symbol of what God does on the inside, but it is also fundamentally an act of obedience. And so as we sing and as we worship, I would encourage you to find yourself in that space where you can reflect on your relationship with God there. One quick caveat before we move into baptism. Kids, if you want to have this conversation, I want to ask you to talk to your parents to have that conversation first and to not run up front today. We want to have that spiritual blessing from your family, so make sure that that's in place. Parents, if you want to have a conversation today or any other time, you're welcome. But now we're going to sing and we're going to worship. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing one song together before. Listen.